You're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And my name is Stephanie, and it feels like it's been a minute since we've done this, Chris. I was kind of thinking, wait a minute, how does our intro go? I know, right? Is <laughs> We apologize that we were gone longer than usual, but it was difficult for us to coordinate recording times around our holiday schedules. Chris was traveling, and I had a lot of family stuff going on. So we apologize that we were we were gone for a little bit, but we're back, and it's... It's like three months until the premiere. I can't even believe that's that's a possibility, Chris. I know. It's pretty weird. <laughs> as funny as it is, you were saying that to me like two days ago that you can't believe how close April suddenly seems. Mm-hmm. And like earlier today, my dad was, ah, oh, April's so far away, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? Because Stephanie was like, oh, it suddenly seems so soon. <laughs> Now that we're in the same year. (laughs) That's the thing, right? It's at least 2015. We're in the same year that season two of of Orphan Black premieres. And and I'm just, I'm getting really excited. I am also excited. Although, now there's been apparently some new info come out of the TCAs. And I saw some of it, but I haven't gone through all of it. And I can't decide whether I want to or not. This is the... The, t- uh, oh, the Television Critics Association thing, they do like a a bit of press for all the new shows or Oh, okay. Or upcoming seasons of shows. Okay. So your 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 quandary as to whether is whether to read this or not? Yes. I mean I, I saw some of the the news items, but I haven't gone through all of like the full blown articles and stuff from from the press people who were there. I'm like, how how spoiled do I want to be about mm. the upcoming season? And I kind of, I'm currently thinking I'm going to avoid looking at it. Okay. Well, you know I me. I know you're I, going to avoid it. Yeah, I haven't even watched the second trailer that they released. I only watched the first one with just the music and, you know, the the date. Oh. You didn't even see the one with, with like, the faces? No. No faces for me. Just music. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I've seen I've seen clips of them on Tumblr, but nothing captioned. So all I know is like faces. So I know what you're talking about, but I have no idea what it contains. I think it's there's nothing spoilery, uh, at least in my mind. Okay. In the one with so. the faces, like they they have a bit of dialogue, but it's I guess there's one thing that's like vaguely spoilery, but it's kind of nothing you can't figure out from the way last season ended. Okay, then I might watch it. Is we'll that see. vague enough? <laughs> mm, it is. But so that that's us catching up, I, I guess, a little bit about Orphan Black and, and our absence. And this week, though, we do have a, a topic we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Sarah and Helena and their relationship. We've talked about them separately as characters, but we wanted to focus more specifically on their relationship, which I think is fair to say has evolved the most of all the relationships on the show. Given that they wanted to kill each other last season, mm-hmm. granted Helena wanted to do it, I think, out of love by the end of yes. the season, because <laughs> uh, it's Helena. But but yeah, given that that's how that ended, and then there's like happy dance partying going on at the end of season two. I'm I'm gonna say that yeah, that is probably the biggest swing a relationship has taken. <laughs> and do you think, in your opinion, did they accomplish this smoothly? The transition in their relationship? I think they did. Which is maybe really, really weird, but 
yeah, I, I, it didn't feel out of place to me, given the way things played out. Because even though they were sort of trying to kill each other at the end of last season, because it felt like Helena was mostly acting out of just Helena's warped sense of the world that had been ingrained into her from all the bad influences she'd grown up with, right? Mm-hmm. And then Sarah was acting mostly out of self-defense. Granted, she right. was also mad about... about um, Amelia. Amelia, thank you. Mm-hmm. But given the way they reintroduced the two characters in season two, with Helena saving Sarah's life, and the the shower scene, which is unlike any other shower scene that has ever been referred to as a shower scene. <laughs> no kidding. I know, right? Given the way that played out with Helena just sort of ever so very creepily walking up to Sarah with a knife in her hand, which then she, she transfers to her non-dominant hand and then basically just presses herself up against Sarah in a great big bloody hug. You know, and and they have that great big moment of catharsis. Mm-hmm. And that all, as weird as it is, made sense to me. Because, of course, a relationship this weird is going to have a, a, a bit of healing that is that weird, too. <laughs> yeah, because I was listing the major... Sarah and Helena moments just in a, in a little list for my reference for this episode. And it was it's interesting that it goes from Sarah shoots Helena in the season one finale to S- Helena saves Sarah from Daniel in episode four of season two. And and then, you know, Sarah stops Helena from shooting Rachel. It, it's it's definitely a big swing in from one direction of their relationship to to another even though we did see in the first season sarah reaching out and being kindly to helena in some ways you know she saves her from tomas when she's trapped in the cage so it's not like this behavior comes out of nowhere but it is unusual you know for these two characters to confront each other and shoot one of them shoot the other and then the next season this results in a burgeoning familial relationship between the two but really, if you have to have any relationship come back from a shooting... That's a good one to have, right? Exactly. Because, you know, if anybody's going to understand getting shot, <laughs> I feel like it's going to be Helena. Helena's going to be, be Helena. like, eh, I get what you did. It. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Is that weird? Is that weird no. that I think that way? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I, I actually I started the conversation with that question because we got a comment from Dan, a listener, who his one big thought he wanted to share about Sarah and Helena was in regards to the scene between the two of them at the end of episode five of season two, Ipsa Scientia Potestis S, I believe. And that's where Helena's up in the little sniper's nest and she's going to shoot Rachel for for Sarah, really. And Sarah steps in front of the gun and and talks her out of it, it through this very tear-filled confession about how, you know, she's Helena is her sister, and when she killed her, or thought she had killed her, she experienced this huge loss that she couldn't explain to other people because nobody would under understand. And how Dan mentions that he's seen criticism of that that scene, saying that it was quite a big leap for Sarah's character development and maybe was just a con on her part. But he says, 
But I think when she breaks down sobbing after Helena hugs her at the end of the shower scene in 204, she may have realized some of what she expresses to Helena. And I I think that might be fair, because for sure Sarah is crying in relief that this person she thought was maybe coming back to kill her didn't kill her. But I I do think there was relief that Helena wasn't dead as well. I, I could totally see some of that going on in that scene, too. I agree. Yeah, I, it seems like there's a lot of... I mean, I've seen this criticism, too, from people online that... Well, not necessarily criticism, I guess. Some some of it's, like, actually wondering, is it a con? Is it sincere? I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I mean, not mm-hmm. that it's a con so much, but I think she is genuinely trying anything to get Helena to not do this. But I don't think that means that she isn't also sincere in what she says. And it may be that she didn't fully realize those emotions until that moment in the same regard. Like, cause, cause art at that moment was threatening to, to shoot her if she didn't put the gun down and, you know, maybe having Helena in a position where she could get shot brought up those more protective, more sisterly feelings in Sarah as well. I don't know, but I'm with you. I, I have questions about, if her motivations were more out of needing needing to get Helena to not do this thing, but I don't think that they're necessarily not genuine. Right. I think we both just said that in like the most complicated way we possibly could. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Hopefully that's clear. (laughs) (laughs) I think Sarah meant it. Yes. But it's one of those things, I, I guess part of me wonders if she would have necessarily said it had it not been such an urgent situation, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's just amazing looking looking back over Sarah and Helena's relationship, noting how, how often it's been punctuated by violence. Because Helena was the primary violent element in season one. And it was Sarah who was having to deal with her. She, you know, the the season two finale was the first time that Helena and the other clones had ever met. So Sarah was having to deal with this unpredictable, violent person who was was pursuing her as well as her sister clones, you know, by herself in the first season, and you know, it she stabs her through the through the abdomen with a rebar, and she tries to and she shoots her at the end of season one, and it's it. There's just so much violence in their relationship. There really is. Although I was thinking about it as you were commenting that Helena hadn't met the other clones, mm-hmm. really. It's kind of a good thing that Sarah's the one who ended up having to deal with Helena because I don't know that any of the other clones or even any of the other characters on the show are really properly equipped to deal with Helena. No. And I think definitely if Helena had approached the other clones in Clone Club, they would have ended up dead, you know, because what really sways her from Tomas's side to the clone side is the connection that she feels with Sarah. Right. And I mean, just the fact that even after that, Sarah is a quick enough thinker that she's sort of able to figure out what Helena's doing mm-hmm. and react accordingly. Whereas right. I don't know if either Allison or Cosima would have been able to deal with that at all. Right. I mean, Allison might have just shot her in the first place. Right. And Cosima probably just would have ended up dead, let's be honest. Yeah. Because Kasima's not not a fighter. 
No. From no, everything we've really. seen. So But we we still love you, Kasima. We don't mind that you're not a fighter. <laughs> oh no. I'm I'm totally on Team Kasima, but you know, she's she's not a fighter. She no. would have just yeah, it wouldn't have gotten well for Kasima. <laughs> that confrontation. But yeah, I mean aside from like art maybe and even art probably wouldn't have fared that well. She bested him with a, you know, the little tab from a sardine can. I know, but he held up against her more, I feel like, than other characters would have, is all I'm it's saying. It's true. It's true. What you said actually reminded me of one of the themes that I've seen in Sarah and Helena's relationship, is there's there's a couple of interesting themes that are not contradictory, but but a little dissimilar in a way. Because I feel like there's a theme of sameness, this idea that they are the same person, even in a way that, you know, the clones are the same genome, right? But beyond that, there's this emphasis that Helena and Sarah are the same in a way that they aren't the same as the other clones. But then there's also this theme of complementarity that runs throughout their relationship. And in you know, what you're saying reminds me of this idea of of sameness, you know, this idea that Sarah was best fit to handle Helena because she can kind of understand the way that Helena thinks in a way that the other clones probably couldn't. Mm-hmm. And and I'm reminded of the, I guess, the, the line where, yeah, I think she says it to Mrs. S. I don't remember which episode, but she talks about how not being sure if she can get rid of Helena because when she looks at her, I see me. Yep. I think that's either 109 or 110. I forget which yeah, one. But toward toward the end of season one. It is sort of, they, they really, really emphasize the whole yin-yang situation with the two of them, which is sort of both sameness and difference. So, Because mm-hmm. I feel like for, for Helena, what she starts to see in Sarah that she didn't see in any of the other clones was who she might be, which I think is an interesting thing for Sarah to to have in a relationship with somebody, because honestly, I think Sarah thinks of herself as a bit of a screw up. Us as objective viewers, especially the beginning of the series, can see that Sarah's not exactly living the best life. But Helena comes in and she really looks up to Sarah. And I don't think that that is something that Sarah's necessarily experienced before. Yes, Sarah actually says to Allison in 108, because I forget exactly what it is Allison says to Sarah, but, you know, something about how I'm a mess, we're all a mess, except for you, Sarah. And Sarah's kind of like, what? <laughs> the the look on Sarah's face is just complete and utter disbelief and, and maybe a little bit of, Allison, go home, you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten there was that exchange, yeah. But she she does say, you know, me, I'm a mess. Or I'm the biggest mess there is, I think is actually what she says. So yeah, Sarah herself has said that she thinks of herself as not being a particularly together person. You know, but here comes Helena, who even pays her a compliment to being a good mother. You know, she's, you're, you know, you're a good mother, Sarah. In, 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 I think it's episode six of season two, when they're on the road trip together. And, and again, Sarah has this reaction of, um, I don't think so. It, <laughs> she, she left her daughter for 
10 months, something like that. And yep, even months. Kira has commented on the fact that you're never around. So her own kid is kind of like, mom, come on, get it together. But Helena is saying, you're a good mother. But then you think about Helena's growing up. I'm sure Sarah does seem like a really good mother because we know that Sarah loves Kira more than anything, which I think is kind of all that Helena's ever wanted, probably. So makes sense to me. For sure. For sure. We see the type of parental figure that Helena has had and people like Tomas and the nuns where she was raised. Sarah would look like a good a good mother to Helena. But in regards to their complementarity, we we have it, I think, in a couple of ways. Obviously, they introduced the concept of Helena being a mirror twin in season two. And so, you know, this idea that she's a slightly altered reflection of Sarah, again, kind of this idea of sameness, but not quite. And she's left-handed while Sarah's right-handed. I hadn't really thought it before, but you have, you know, blonde versus brunette, even though most of the of the clones are brunette. And when you look at those two as a as sisters, blonde and brunette, I was almost like like a lesbian couple. Oh, wait, <laughs> just because every lesbian couple seems to be a blonde and a brunette. But anyway, that's just where my mind went. It's not that they're a lesbian couple. That's just weird. Strike that. Anyway, <laughs> shall I just edit that whole part out <laughs> or leave it and people can listen to me scramble? It's fine. So okay. <laughs> so we have the mirror twin thing, and then, like you mentioned, we have the the this idea of a yin yang, which we see them very conscientiously duplicate in their the road trip episode, episode two hundred six, when they're camping, where you know you have Sarah curled up one way and Helena curled up the other way, and it does kind of mimic the fact that. You know, that might have been kind of how they were positioned in the womb, but I think it very definitely is a yin yang sign. I was going to say, so subtle show. Yeah, very subtle. It's fine. I love you, show. Do stuff like that. I love it. No, I actually kind of, I liked it, but I yeah. just, I have to tease. I know. I'm teasing know. the show, apparently. <laughs> I just rolled my eyes at myself. You couldn't, you couldn't see it, but that's what I did. In case you couldn't hear it either. In one of the interviews they did with Tatiana Maslany that they aired during the the airing of season two, I think this was after, or or I should say during when they were airing episode 206, where she's talking about Helena and Sarah's relationship. And she had this, this observation about the shifting dynamic of their relationship that I liked a lot. And she said, that relationship goes from older sister to younger sister, to mother daughter, to keeper of the monster. And I, I, was actually listening. I wasn't watching because I was at work, but I was listening to season two today. And I and I feel like I hear a lot of Keeper of the Monster <laughs> and how Sarah relates to Helena. It's, but it, it's it's very like Helena as feral dog in season two, it feels like. Whereas in, in season one, it was, it was, you know, Sarah keeping feral beast away from the rest of her family. Yeah, when there's even some exchange. I'm trying to remember if it's in season two or if it's in season one. There's some exchange that Sarah has with one of her nemeses, and she's kind of like, you know, be careful or I'll unleash Helena on you. Oh, she says that to Leaky. Right, but did she say that to him in season one or season two? I can't remember. Season now. two. It's the at the end of okay. two oh five, right before she and Helena get in the car to 
to go on the road trip is already like you know if you follow us i'll sick helene on you and like he says that's not an idle threat or something to that and that that's uh, right effect it i mean it makes more sense that it would be in season two than in season one since you know she actually has a more stable relationship again relatively speaking with lena but I also thought of that, this idea of Keeper of the Monster in at the beginning of, of 205 when she takes her over to Felix's apartment is basically like, look after her while, while I go do this other thing. I need to go talk to Kira. And, you know, and Helena like hisses at Felix. <laughs> Which is one of the best moments of season two, in my personal opinion. It really is. It really is. But it's it's also following Felix's great line about I must have like a, a Ukrainian folk costume in here somewhere or something like that, which mm-hmm. I just I feel like he might have some sort of Russian or Ukrainian folk costume in his wardrobe. And I love that he hands her a stack of clothes and is like, here, here you can choose something from this. And she goes with stripy pants and a unicorn T-shirt. Because <laughs> why not? I don't, I don't know why I find that so amusing, but I do. But as far as the kind of mother-daughter relationship, I think you see that a lot in in the road trip episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you also see older sister, younger sister, like with the singing in the car. You know, it's like, right. Helena, piss off. You know, <laughs> you're going <laughs> to sing the entire way. But we also see the mother-daughter dynamic when they're camping. And, you know, Sarah kind of humors Helena with the dog shadow puppet. As well as when she tells Helena to wait in the car, and Helena's like, "Can I have radio?" I'm like, no, just stay in the car. <laughs> don't, don't move. Just stay in the car. And then does the "I'm watching you" gesture? Yes. Which everybody points out is very Allison of her. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Although you're right, though, because the the scene in the tent also shifts from the mother daughter to older sister younger sister thing because it starts off sort of sarah's humoring her and then she gets really kind of annoyed she's kind of like oh no i can't do this <laughs> yes yeah and then the the farting is very yes. older sister younger sister reaction <laughs> it is i was reminded that in in season 1 in 107 parts developed in an unusual manner that when they're, when they're when they're doing lunch, Helena makes a comment about how she had a dream that she and Sarah were friends, mm-hmm. and Sarah replies, "Say you know we aren't friends," but Helena says, "But we will be," or something to that effect. Yes. And well, I think for sure their relationship has become friendlier. Obviously, they didn't try to kill each other this past season. Progress. <laughs> but. I don't know that I would call them friends yet. I think the closest they've gotten is kind of older sister, younger sister, which can be friendly, but can also be antagonistic. Yeah, I I was going to say, I do think they're friendly, but I don't know. There hasn't quite been the trust built up enough for them to be friends. Mm -hmm. Which is probably the most heartbreaking thing to watch in season two for me. This you can see this fragile trust building between, at least, from Helena toward Sarah. Because when something bad happens to her at Johansson's farm, you know she retreats back to where she last saw Sarah, or one of the last places she saw Sarah at Mrs. S's house, and then follows her to Rachel's, where she says as much as she does about what Henrik did to her. You know they took. They took something from inside of me. But then when we see Sarah try to try to be kind to her and ask her more about that, she's really hesitant to reveal anything more. 
And then it's just so heartbreaking to see in that episode where Sarah ultimately abandons her when she gets caught up with the police because she's, you know, she's focused on finding Ethan Duncan so that she can trade him for Felix. Right. And it's especially heartbreaking since earlier in that episode, Helena had basically said as much to Sarah that she was afraid that Sarah was going to abandon her as soon as she had what she needed. Yeah. information wise so yeah uh, and, sarah why <laughs> and that to me was uh, it comes out of a, a older sister younger sister type of dynamic because even though i haven't had siblings myself i have observed in other siblings this from the younger sibling being like if i don't rock the boat my older sibling will hang out with me and they won't ditch me to go hang out with their cooler friends and you know trying to like hang on to that connection with with their older siblings so that they don't get abandoned. Mm, mm-hmm. But I'd love to see that that trust foster and grow more in in season season three. I you know I want Helena to open up and tell tell Sarah what bad stuff happened to her, <laughs> which sounds but terrible. But they need to get but... her back first. No. Well, and that's that's the big thing. You know that that is going to be a real litmus test as to where their relationship is at is how Sarah reacts when she realizes that Helena is gone. You know, how long will it take her to realize that Helena is gone? And what will she do when she becomes pretty certain that Helena has disappeared? Right. Because that was something that's come up a few times just in talking to other fans is this whole idea of, well, does Sarah know what happened to Helena? And I mean, from what we've seen in the the last episode, she doesn't because Sarah is sort of up and off to her various things that she had to do. Uh, go talk to Miriam Bowles at Topside and whatever. And so we didn't see Sarah actually getting up that morning. So like, we don't know if she saw that Helena wasn't there or if she did see that Helena wasn't there, what she thought of it, because Helena, I think, had left her stuff there, or at least some of it. So it's one of those, you know, it wouldn't be unrealistic that they thought that maybe Helena had just gone off somewhere for a bit, right? Because, I mean... That's what she does. That seems to be... Exactly. That seems to be what Helena does. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how long it'll take Sarah to realize that Helena is gone and what, how she will react to that. Mm-hmm. Do we think that Mrs. S is going to let her know that that happened? Because there's another fragile relationship. Yeah, no kidding. I I kind of hope so. But at the same time, I'm just not sure. I could see Mrs. S telling her, but Mrs. S is also secretive, so I could see her not telling her. So I'm undecided as to how that might go. Exactly. Or Paul. Do we think Paul will show up again at some point with information? I would be surprised if he was the one who told Sarah. I'm not ruling it out completely, but I would be surprised. Because you can't rule anything out completely with this show. (laughs) No, no. But I feel like if Mrs. S did tell Sarah, it would only be because she felt cornered in some regard. I don't think she's going to come volunteer unless something happened and she needed to use that piece of information in some way to motivate Sarah. I think that's valid from what we've seen. Yeah. But for sure, I'm, I'm, you know, worried about Helena. I want Sarah to go find Helena. 
And I'm very curious to see what what that reaction will look like. Mm -hmm. While this isn't exactly about Sarah and Helena's relationship, I, I did want to talk about some some Greek mythology stuff that I've I've seen people chatting about online and in, in various fora because we had of course the the introduction of Project Leda and Project Castor this season and those names derive very directly from Greek mythology as they mentioned on the show Leda was a human who was seduced by Zeus in the form of a swan and then Leda gave birth to two sets of twins Clytemnestra and Helen as well as Castor and Pollux. There's conflicting accounts as to who was whose sibling. In some accounts, Castor and Pollux were twins, and Clytemnestra and Helen were twins. In other accounts, the, they're mixed up more. So that's kind of in... It, it varies from account to account. And then who each of the children were parented by, that varies from account to account, because they the two sets of twins have two different fathers. And so... That varies. The things that stay the same, though, is the big thing that stays the same is Helen is is supposed to be fathered by Zeus. And so because we have these these twins that are part of the Leda story, it's really tempting to compare them to Sarah and Helena because Helen, Helena, it sounds like they might be related, right? And, you know, with this idea of Helen being fathered by a god and having godlike qualities, and the fact that, you know, in the first season we see Helena seemingly unable to be killed, it invites some comparison. It's just, how did she lose all that blood and still be okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, they, they explain some of it away with the mirror twin, the reversed organs. But at the same time, it's like, she lost so much blood. How did she survive that? Exactly. Because <laughs> those are still severe injuries, and there's still a lot of blood loss, and that stuff's hard to come back from. So Right. And how did that not get infected? Because rebar. <laughs> yes. Right? A dirty, and filthy rebar. followed by rebar. self-surgery. I would just... Oh, to have Helena's immune system. Mm. So the whole Helena-Helen thing, again, I, th I think really does invite some, some comparison. But I, personally, I don't know if you can make direct comparisons as to, oh, Helena is supposed to be like Helen and Sarah is supposed to be like Clytemnestra. But I think there are a lot of themes that occur in these two women of mythology, their, their two stories that are definitely echoed in Sarah and Helena's stories. So I'm not saying for sure that the writers drew upon these characters from Greek mythology, but they, there are some comparisons, I think. So it's like, if they didn't, these are some sort of interesting coincidences. <laughs> yes, yes. I guess would be the way to put it. So Chris found a passage in her Edith Hamilton's mythology book that rung some bells in regards to... <laughs> <laughs> One of these characters. Do you want to? Do you want to give that a read, Chris? Yes. Hang on for a second while I find it again. Okay. I'm not going to tell you who we think this sounds like, but I think it'll be pretty obvious once once Chris starts reading. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Dark red stains were on her dress, her hands, her face. Yet she herself looked unshaken, strongly sure of herself. She proclaimed for all to hear what had been done. Here lies my husband dead, struck down justly by my hand, she said. It was his blood that stained her dress and face, and she was glad. So yeah, that sounds a little bit like Helena. It kind of reminds you of Helena, right? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Dark red stains on her dress, her hands, and her face. 
Hmm. And seemingly undisturbed by all of this. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Helena. But the, the interesting thing is, that's a description of Clytemnestra, because Clytemnestra, you might know less about her, because Helen is is the famous Helen of Troy, which a lot of people know about. Very beautiful woman, many suitors, and then she was abducted because of her beauty, and that abduction it was what started the Trojan War. Clytemnestra pretty interesting figure, but I don't think she is as well known as Helen of Troy. Right. So Clytemnestra was married to Agamemnon. Some accounts say he was her second husband and that Agamemnon slayed her first husband. But her husband was, you know, went, went to help his brother, King Menelaus, who was Helen of Troy's husband, fight in the Trojan War. So they're going to go on this journey, and the winds are kind of against the boats that need to set sail. And so it's determined that it would help if a, if the Clytemnestra's daughter, Iphigenia, was sacrificed to Artemis to get the winds going. And so this happens, and Clytemnestra is very pained and grieved, and she, she you know, curses her husband for sacrificing her beloved daughter. And while her husband is away, she cheats on her husband with his cousin, I believe. And then when he comes back, her husband comes back from the war with a mistress in tow. She slays both her husband and his mistress, presumably for, in part, for killing her daughter. And let's see, what else happens with her? Those are the big, the broad strokes. There's also some other stuff involving her son, Orestes, which this kind of is contradictory to how she reacts to her daughter being sacrificed, she is said to have kind of approved of a plot to kill her son. But, you know, there's a lot of violence associated with Clytemnestra, whereas there's there's not as much associated with Helen of Troy. So even though the names are similar, Helen and Helena, I, I find that Clytemnestra's story resonates more in sort of Helena's storyline for me. And again, Helen being a very beautiful woman with many suitors. Who does that sound like? <laughs> yeah, because we got Sarah, who's got Vic fawning all over her, and Paul, who's into her, and, and Cal, who likes her. So, yes, Sarah's definitely of the many suitors. Though, of course, you know, Sarah has, has committed violence over the course of these two seasons. But the Clytemnestra, her, the violence she commits is kind of cold-hearted and cold-blooded in, in a way that I don't think that the violence that Sarah commits is. Right. Of course, I think either Sarah or Helena would happily, maybe happily isn't the right word, but would <laughs> easily go into like insane violence mode if anything were to happen to Kira. Right. Right. So, yeah, because we have, if we're going to, if we're trying to compare Sarah and Helena with Helen and Clytemnestra, Clytemnestra is the one with offspring. She has this extreme reaction, this grieved reaction to when her daughter is sacrificed. And so that's maybe more related to Sarah. But, you know, we I think we would, as Chris pointed out, if, if something happened to Kira, both Helena and Sarah would be pretty ticked off and, and moved potentially to violence. And Mrs. S. And, and Mrs. S. Probably Uncle Felix and like lots of people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think that those are some interesting... Interesting things to consider. Again, I don't know for sure that the writers are drawing from these myths, but I I do think again there are just some some themes, some some events that kind of you know characterize Sarah and Helena's storylines. I I will say Wikipedia described Clytemnestra as a femme fatale, which is a a label I would maybe associate more with Sarah than with um, Helena. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. But again, I... Or maybe Rachel. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But she's less, like, seductive and kill you than than Sarah is. Sarah's not a kill you, but she's I very know. seductive, like, reels you in and then does something dastardly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the way I said that? Dastardly. <laughs> I kind of did, yeah. Okay. There's like a little, there was, your face did a thing when you said it too, which made it better. <laughs> I'm sorry you couldn't see it, listeners. It made it, it made the whole sentence there, but never mind. <laughs> We did get a couple of letters in regards to, in response to, I should say, our episode where we were talking about potential Orphan Black guest stars, as well as the ones that they've announced for season three. And we got one from Dan, and it was less about who he would want to see as a guest star, uh, but he did have a comment about Peter Outerbridge, who played Henrik uh, Johansson in season two. And he says, I was looking in iTunes at the soundtrack to the film Better Than Chocolate, which I've not watched in over five years. If you're not aware, Better Than Chocolate, it was released in the 1990s. It's kind of a, a part of the the lesbian canon of films. <laughs> it's not, it, so it's not a particularly well-known movie, but in particular communities, a lot of people know it. And he said, uh, Dan goes on and says, I had no recollection that Peter Outerbridge played the trans woman character Judy, and in fact performs the number I'm not an effing drag queen on stage in the film. Knowing his Henrik character from Orphan Black, this was a bit of a mind frack. I could see why. And I have seen that movie, but it's been a while. So I, I knew that I knew him from something else, completely forgotten that that was, that was where I knew him from. And then the other message that we got in regards to guest stars was from Your324B21 on Tumblr. And they mentioned they were surprised that we didn't mention Aaliyah O'Brien as a potential guest star for Orphan Black. And Aaliyah O'Brien, I know her just from Rookie Blue, but I think she's also been on The Strange. She's been a lot of stuff, but I, what else? I think you've seen him in something else. Ascension was the recent thing. Ascension? Okay. And I did consider Aaliyah O'Brien, but I, I don't know. I guess I wasn't sure how she would fit on Orphan Black, like what type of character she would play. Yeah, I'd like Aaliyah O'Brien, but I didn't really... I, she wasn't in my mind when we were talking about this before. And I don't think I mentioned this when we were recording that episode, but also Amy Acker. <laughs> because it's, I feel like Amy Acker is kind of like a Gina Torres for you. You you want her to be in most of the things. I, I would be perfectly happy if Amy Acker was in all of the things. But, I mean, she's got that whole thing where she can play kind of anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, her specialty is playing something that turns into something else. <laughs> it's true. This is very true. And blows your mind. <laughs> and right now she's she's playing a, a flirty person, and those types of people are very welcome in the Orphan Black universe. Uh, Root is... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't limit her by calling her a flirty person, but... No, she's, of course, more than that. However, I, I flirt, flirting in t with people who... Anyway, just, yeah, that, for some reason, that, that part of her character, I was like, that would really fit in well on Orphan Black. I don't know why I thought of that one <laughs> characteristic in particular, but I did. Because that's what you see on Tumblr, probably. Probably. Tumblr likes to give the, the root flirting. The flirty root. We're talking about, we're talking about person of interest, anybody. Oh, yes. By the way, <laughs> that is what Amy Acker is on right now. And she's very excellent on that show. 
which is, I think, why I didn't mention her when we were talking about it before, because she is gainfully employed. But, you know, I, I would still enjoy seeing her on Orphan Black. We've also gotten messages from a few people reminding us that Michelle Forbes was also Ro Laren on Star Trek The Next Generation. And I do not know why I did not mention that when we were recording, because that is the thing that I most know her from. I think I got <laughs> I got off track or something because we were talking about whatever else Michelle Forbes had been in. I don't know, The Killing or something. But but yes, obviously, Michelle Forbes, Ro Laren on Star Trek Next Generation. And I think you did mention that when she first appeared on the show, when we were talking about the season two episodes, but... I but probably yes. did, yes. Chris Chris is very aware of Michelle Forbes's role on, on Star Trek. I used to be in a Star Trek fan club. Yes, which I think is kind of adorable. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to those folks who sent us in their thoughts about our content. We really like hearing from people. So if you'd like to tell us your thoughts about Sarah and Helena and their complicated beautiful, fragile relationship. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 54. You can also send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com or send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail tab on the right-hand side of our website. You can find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And this week, my copy of Edith Hamilton's Mythology was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. This is Chris from the editing room, and I'm afraid I have some sad news. One of our listeners and fellow Orphan Black podcaster, Bob DeGrand, has passed away. He co-hosted the Clone Dance Party podcast and sent us feedback on a pretty regular basis. We'd like to send our condolences to his friends, co-hosts, and family. <laughs>